The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Rudolph, play action, he'll run, has some moves to the sideline, and dives in for the touchdown. Jake be nimble, Jake be quick. Gets over the right side. Nice job, great footwork by the sophomore quarterback. Second rushing touchdown of the season for him. Really good decision because you can tell when he sprinted to the right, he still had that option to pass. And then he decided to run and hurdle the tackler to get into the end zone. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. We have our first of two weekly reporters' notebook segments in this podcast. This features Susan Dank, who looks back at the Hawks' victory over the Missouri State Bears in Kinnick Stadium. You'll also hear some of what Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz had to say on the weekly Big Ten Coaches Conference call. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Brent Balbinad and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our Scott Docterman Reporter's Notebook podcast, as well as Brent Balbinat's Press Box Report. The Iowa-Missouri State game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network, with announcers Steve Fiziak and former Hawkeye Dane and Hughes. A nice job calling this game. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz participated in the weekly Big Ten Coaches Conference call this week. Here's some of what he had to say about defending Iowa State's hurry-up spread offense, preferring players' dependability over their ability, his team's problems with penalties in the first two games, and the importance to his players of beating Iowa State. We have a lot of respect for uh, their quarterback, first and foremost. He came in last year, uh, I believe, in the Kansas game and really got his first substantial playing time at that point and um, you know, really did a nice job and has continued to do so. And He throws the ball well, but he also is a guy that can uh, hurt you with his feet. So we've got to honor him and uh, respect him both ways, both as a, a passer but also as a, a guy that can pull it down and run or, or run uh, design runs as well. I think probably every coach, uh, it's, it's really an important uh, thing. And two coaches, especially once you get in season, you know, we're all enticed by potential and, and all attracted to it, certainly, and what have you. But it, but at some point, it really gets down to uh, production. A big part of production, I think, is you know being a dependable player, a player that's uh, consistent with his actions. And, and uh, I think every coach appreciates you know having a good idea what to expect from a player each and every week. You know, typically not always, but typically there's a strong correlation. Guys that practice well tend to play better. And, uh, you know, we're, we're 
becomes a little bit of a, a math equation is uh, with younger players. You know, they're typically not as dependable, not as consistent as older guys. And uh, so as you bring younger players along, you know, I guess everybody has to decide for themselves what that line is. You know, where, where do you cut off and at what point do those mistakes that younger players and inexperienced players tend to make, at what point do they, uh, you know, just become too too uh, too harmful, you know, to the team's benefit. So, yeah, you're always evaluating those things. But, uh, you know, the more dependable a guy is, you're certainly counting on your older guys to be that way, uh, the better a better off you are. Well, you know, it depends which game you're looking at. Um, I think last week certainly penalties were a huge factor in our game. Uh, I believe we had 11 for 100 yards. One of those was was intentional. You know, we took a five-yard penalty, but uh, certainly last week that was a huge factor. And moving forward, we can't expect to win if, if we uh, don't clean that up. And I think two weeks ago it was more so just a uh, matter of you know sustaining drives, particularly in the second half. You know, the third quarter plus one series. I believe our first five possessions. I think in that second half of our first game, that really you know, those were you know momentum killers, if you will. Well, I think it's important to them, but I think, you know, you think about a guy like Chris Kirksey or Mark Weissman, they're two of our game captains from, from out of state. Hey, you know, in football, you only get 12 of them, so I think it's extremely important each and every opportunity, and I hope our players look at it that way. I think they do, and, uh, you know, everybody looks at it like, hey, this is, this is an important game. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the news and events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and on Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Time now for the first of our two weekly Reporters Notebook shows. This one features Susan Dank. You can follow Susan's articles in The Hawkeye and online at thehawkeye.com. You can also follow Susan on Twitter at Susan Dank. Susan looks back at the Missouri State game and more. So, Susan, the losing streak ends at 7. A win's a win, but that wasn't a very satisfying game for Iowa, especially against a struggling FCS opponent with a very poor record in recent years. I really thought Iowa would have a much easier time. You know, 7 nothing in the first half really didn't give you too much to be excited about. And then they kind of got it going in the second half just to have uh, Missouri State come right back. No, but in the end, like you said, a win is a win, and I think they needed that coming into uh, this next weekend against Iowa State. First half was almost inexplicable, at least in terms of its lack of productivity. Iowa had complete dominance in the in the first half stats, but the scoreboard didn't even remotely match that. Yeah, it just, and that was kind of the theme afterwards in the press conference. All the players just kept talking about, we have to finish, we have to finish because they would they would get down there and they, they just would stall. They couldn't get it into the end zone. It, it was very inexplicable that you know they'd be moving the ball so well and then just all of a sudden stop and not be able to do anything with it. Yeah, the other thing that jumps out at you in terms of unfairness-like teams was the the number of penalties. They had 11 penalties for 100 yards, and several of them just killed offensive drives. You know, the penalties didn't just stop their drives, you know, but they also, you know, helped out Missouri State drives. You know, the end of the third quarter there, 
when the Bears scored their first touchdown. It was first and 20, they get a first down, but then Iowa has a late hit out of bounds. It just gives them more yardage. They come back and score. It's 21-7, and all of a sudden it's 21-14, and they're right back in it. So that's just inexcusable, and I know something that I'm Kirk will be working on this week and, and pounding into their head. Looking back at the offense a bit and some key offensive stats, really the, the offensive stats for Iowa were almost eye-popping. And, and it's interesting, really, this year, yes, Iowa's running no huddle, but in game number one, you saw it be a variable pace, no huddle. In this game on Saturday, you saw Iowa running much of the time at a pace that's even faster than Oregon. Rob Brooks pointed out from the sidelines that Oregon typically runs its offensive plays at around the 24-second mark, plus or minus two or three seconds. On several of Iowa's drives, the Hawkeyes were running the plays in with more than 30 seconds left on the time clock. You know, it, it's fun to watch. You know, it'd be better if they could, you know, finish things off, obviously. I think it's more scoring done. You know, but it is kind of fun to watch. You know, it's fun that they've gotten a lot of people involved in the offense. Obviously, you know, they have to be a little bit more productive with that. Fans wanted a faster, more up-tempo pace, and they're getting it. We'll see, uh, you know, what happens once they get into Big Ten season. 80 plays against NIU, which is a dozen more than they averaged in 2012. 86 last Saturday, 489 yards. This is even more interesting to me. 58 runs for 296 yards and 4 TDs. 28 passes for 193 yards and a possession time differential. Iowa had the ball 36 minutes and 37 seconds and Missouri State under 22 minutes. You know, you look at all those numbers and you would think that they had scored a ton of points <laughs> and that they would have, you know, blown out the opposition instead of just scoring the, the 28, you know, in, in 7 in the first half. And you look at some of these numbers and it, it, you really think they'd be doing more. Yeah, but like we talked about earlier, they do need to finish and they do need to find a way You know, when they're in the red zone to get into the end zone. A present company excluded, of course, but there were a number of members of the media who cover Iowa regularly who were refusing to believe they were going to see this much no huddle. And yet we're through the first two games of the season and Iowa hasn't used a huddle once in, in either game. So pretty interesting. Jake Rudock starting his second game. I thought despite the pick six, it was another very heady game. 19 of 28. He spread the ball around to 10 different receivers. You saw a lot of action for tight ends after the criticism that popped up after the first game where people were wondering if Greg Davis had that those schemes in his in his offensive playbook. Jake had several key drops. And I think most surprising to people, he showed some speed and quickness, ability to get outside the pocket and, and gain some key yards on the ground. I think Jake made some great strides in this game. Um, you know, I think the speed did kind of surprise some people. I, I know I didn't know that he had any of that ability. Um, you know, but he was just, he played smart. You know, other than that pick six, he really did play smart. He knew when to tuck it in and run with it. You know, he looked to other receivers, like he said, 10, 10 different guys caught the ball, including those tight ends. And he really, you know, seems to be a smart quarterback and what to do with the ball, when to throw it away, and when to run. I mean, he ran for 33 yards and two touchdowns. You know, those aren't bad numbers, and he can be elusive. Yeah, I heard on some of the post-game call-in shows, I usually try to listen to some segments of them to get a feel for what fans are thinking. Apparently, some fans were concerned that he he wasn't looking downfield and he was going through his progressions too quickly. I thought, looking at it at the game, that he was clearly on almost every play, and I know Podolak mentioned this, he was looking downfield first on almost every pass play and then he would check down. 
So I'm not sure where that came from, but that's certainly very different than what we saw in 2012, too. It is. And, you know, I think fans are going to find something to complain about no matter what it is that he's not looking downfield, that he is looking downfield. I know one of his touchdown runs, everyone was saying that Fedorowicz was open and he easily could have gotten it to him. We don't know what he sees when he's out there, but he does seem to know what he's doing, where to look. They were getting some pressure on him. He was sacked twice. So I, I think he's doing a great job. You know, it's only a second game as a starter and, you know, he'll continue to progress and grow. We mentioned earlier the almost two to one ratio runs over pass, but really a terrific day for Mark Wiseman. He went over a thousand career yards, sixth 100 plus yard game, two TDs and 180 yards on 30 carries. I suspect he was tired Saturday night. <laughs> he said he was a little bit sore, but you know, I suspect that he, he likes getting the ball and he, he likes running with it. You know, it was great though that you saw some Damon Bullock in there and LaShawn Daniels got in there and Jordan Kinzeri. You know, this, you know, some of these guys that they had talked about in the past being able to rotate in and out and you know they finally are getting a chance to do that. And you know, while Weissman did carry the load with thirty carries, you know, Bullock did have ten and you know it was nice to see and maybe they'll work him in there a little bit more as the season progresses. We saw the debut of two true freshmen offensively. LaShawn Daniels looked pretty good out of the running back position. And then a person most fans probably have never even heard of, Matt Vandenberg, no end there, looked pretty good at the receiver's position. Got to admit, I hadn't heard of him either. I had to go look him up after the game, and he did look pretty good. You know, this guy that nobody had really heard of going in there and two catches, 17 yards. And, you know, it's just great to see a bunch of new faces in there. Um, Daniels, I know the fans wanted to see and kind of expected to see. Um, he had 30 yards, I believe it was, on six carries. You know, looking pretty good. You know, obviously it wasn't against a great defense, but if they keep getting him out there and getting him, you know, some experience, I think they're going to grow into some pretty good players. I think another thing, people were interested in seeing how Iowa would try to scheme and fare against a true 3-4 defense, which is what Missouri State ran, especially considering that that's what Wisconsin and Ohio State are now going to do. Iowa struggled in the first half. They, they had difficulty stopping the Bears' blitz out of that 3-4 defense. Then they went heavy with double tight end sets in the second half and seemed to resolve that issue almost entirely. Absolutely. I mean, it just, you know, that the whole offense in the first half just didn't seem to be clicking. And obviously they made some adjustments, you know, at halftime and, and came out and, and made those changes and obviously looked a whole lot better. Flipping over the defense, I thought they played well overall. But again, you have to take into consideration who the opponent was. But anytime you pitch a shutout going into the fourth quarter, you have to be doing reasonably good things. Yeah, absolutely. They did look good. You know, obviously there's you know still a lot of work to be done, which of course they all said after the game. You know, but they didn't allow Kira Harris, the, the Bears quarterback, to go crazy. He had only had 127 yards passing, and you know, it didn't run crazy either. He only had 18 yards, I believe it was, and you know, so they did shut him down and really didn't do too much. Um, you know, obviously that little little sequence there at the end of the third quarter into the fourth, you know, they couldn't really do much about, it, and one of them was an interception, so the defense wasn't even on the field for that. But but overall, they did look pretty good. They also showed showed more blitzing than I remember seeing from any Iowa defense in a long time. Yeah, and that's something, you know, they had talked about last week. Also came up with the first sack, which was a big topic of conversation after uh, not having a sack against Northern Illinois. You know, so they're progressing. They have the three linebackers that everyone's counting on, those, those seniors that, you know, have to you know be the quarterbacks of the defense. But, you know, the rest of the defense is coming along pretty well. And they blitzed on almost every third down, and Missouri State was only able to convert 
convert one out of 10 times on third down attempts. And you mentioned the one sack. It was only one sack, but their quarterback was under pressure pretty much the whole game. He was. He was. But, you know, he's a, a pretty elusive quarterback, too. I believe he was their leading rusher the first game. And so he's not a guy who's just going to stand back there in the pocket. He's going to run around. But he was under quite a bit of pressure. Yeah, the amazing stat defensively to me was you're looking at a Missouri State team that, that is another no-huddle, moderately mobile quarterback, uh, nothing like the guy Iowa saw in the first week, but pretty decent, and, and a hurry-up offense, and yet Iowa's defense forced five three-and-outs. Missouri State held to only 12 first downs, only 197 yards of total offense, and amazingly, for the speed that they play at, they only ran 53 offensive plays. Yeah, and I think that's something that you know Iowa fans need to be encouraged about. You know, I know there are a lot of things that they're probably upset about, but at the same time, you know, like you said, they had a shutout going until, you know, the beginning of the fourth quarter, which is a great thing. And toward the end, they maybe looked a little tired, but, you know, they'd been out there quite a bit and it was a pretty hot day. Now, the aggressiveness of the defense still, I think, exposed a continuing problem through the first two games, which is the susceptibility of Iowa's defensive secondary to the long pass. They're going to have to improve on that pretty quickly, especially moving into the Big Ten season. They are. I think that was the one big drawback, you know, the first two games. You know, obviously we kind of expected it with Jordan Lynch and, and Northern Illinois and his abilities. You know, didn't know much with Harris and what he could do. You know, but, you know, they really, um, you know, Jordan Lomax was out, so you had Desmond King starting, a, a true freshman starting there in that cornerback position, and they took advantage of that a couple of times. You know, they're going to have to work on that, and I, I'm, I'm sure that's something that uh, Coach Harris and Coach Parker are, are talking to them about and working on them with. Tanner Miller got a, a key pick in the end zone where, and it's hard to really think about in the broader context of Iowa playing Missouri State and that being a key pick, but at that point in the ball game, a Missouri State score would have really made fans nervous, especially given Iowa's recent history of losing close games. That was, and that was actually what my story was about on Sunday, that was, you know, who would have thought that the game against Missouri State would have come down to a big defensive play late in the, in the game. You know, that was just huge. They were down to the 14-yard line. It would have made it a 28-21 game, plenty of time for that offense to come back on the field and do something and tie the game. You know, he said that on the sideline, the defense was, you know, sitting there saying, okay, somebody has to step up and make a play. Who's going to do this? And just a huge play in the end zone for Tanner Miller. You know, there was so much discussion before the kickoff and even earlier in the week about what the attendance was going to be like at Kinnick last Saturday. And it was down quite a bit, the lowest attendance in, in 10 years. And I was doing a little calculation. As near as I can figure, between what Iowa had to pay Missouri State to come up and play this game, coupled with what they lost in terms of ticket sales and parking and concessions, that, that alone had to cost the athletic department a million dollars. That's pretty big money in this economy. That is pretty big money. You know, I was, I was kind of disappointed. I knew driving in, you know, I wasn't seeing the number of people that you usually see, especially just two hours before game time. Uh, you know, it kind of filled in more than I had expected, you know, not seeing anyone out and about. Past, those fans have always been there, but I guess after, you know, a down year like that and really not high expectations, they're not going to come to these games when they're scheduling opponents like Missouri State. As we wrap up here, and I don't usually get to ask you this question because you usually do the review show, but Hawkeyes now just one win away from 600 wins in the program's history. Will they get it this weekend in Ames? Ooh, that's a tough one. I actually, <laughs> I haven't seen Iowa State play. I know their opener was, you know, big disappointment for uh, all the fans up there in Ames. Then again, you, you know, can't take any of that into account. It's Iowa, Iowa State. So it, it's going to be tough. I think Iowa needs to make a huge leap from these first two games to uh, this coming Saturday. I can see where they could do it, but I can also see where they can't. And I know 
know that's a big cop-out. <laughs> uh, no, I'll say Iowa will win. It, you know, they have to play a really good game. They're going to have to clean up those 11 you know, penalties for 100 yards and, and not do that. You know, but I think Jake can, can hold on to the ball and not throw the interceptions, and I think they can run the ball. So I, I think Iowa has a good chance to win. Any closing thoughts? I know. I, I like, uh, you know, seeing all these young players out there. I know Kirk in the past has talked about that a lot, you know, getting some of these younger guys out there. And then he seems really reluctant, too. So it was nice, you know, even though maybe they didn't have the production and it was a very close game, it was nice to see some of those young guys out there getting that experience. So, you know, maybe later on in the season or if there were injuries, they had some game experience under their belts and it can contribute. Time to be bad. Second down and 10. Four-man rush by the Hawkeyes. Harris down the middle. Intercepted. Tanner Miller, the free safety. Excellent job. The fifth interception of his career. Comes up with the big play. Just reads the eyes of Kiara Harris right there. Good coverage on the back end. Could have been some contact, but he makes the play on the ball. Nice job right there. Big turn of events for the Hawkeyes, specifically the defense, as they seem to be backpedaling a little bit. Key turnover. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Our thanks again to BTN for the game highlights this week, and thanks as always to Susan Dink. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate yourself. By phoning and making your own voice heard in our shows, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.